then we have a full suite of microphones and all. Uh, well, it's been a joy being with you today uh, here in Edinburgh. And uh, as I mentioned this morning, my, my wife is living in Edinburgh when we met, and we've been trying to get her to come back uh, ever since. And I always say that it's too cold in Edinburgh. Uh, it's just a good job she's not here this weekend, because it's been lovely, hasn't it? Uh, I was just up there walking the streets with her and having lunch and just getting to spend some time with her. Not she won't be there for two more years, but getting to meet Evan and all. Uh, so uh, I hope you've been able to enjoy uh, your afternoon wherever you're doing uh, today. And it was great to pray earlier for the students going away to university. Uh, lots of number of you are heading away ahead of the year arriving. Uh, my normal work has been taking me to university, so I'm always busy praying for Edinburgh and for all that's going on. Uh, head of a network called Foyer. German word for fire, and it stands for the Fellowship of Evangelists of Universities in Europe. And if we need to provide remote internet, I'm sorry, reception in Europe, I make that up, but it's a pretty bad acronym. Uh, but it's a group of people who share the good news of Jesus with universities uh, all over our country. And it's been a regular thing with universities across the UK for students to hold weekly events where they share the good news of Jesus, different events like this one. It's not been so common to do that in other parts of our country for whatever reason. And so one of the purposes of that network has been to encourage students who are often in much smaller groups than other European countries uh, to have confidence and faith and to share the good news of Jesus. And it's been great to have done that, even in places where it's been really difficult uh, to have that illusion of that kind of thing. Incredible restrictions um, uh, in terms of what people can do, particularly what Christians can do, but their confidence in sharing this good news is something that's been wonderful to see. Now, this morning we were thinking about happiness. This evening we're going to be thinking about this subject of freedom. And, and freedom comes in many forms, doesn't it? Uh, you can have political freedom. You can have freedom of speech. And of course there's personal freedom, my own freedom to express myself and to live as I want. And freedom is probably one of our great desires, isn't it? Uh, many films explore this topic of freedom. Think of films like Les Miserables, freedom from oppression, or The Shawshank Redemption, freedom from imprisonment, or Braveheart, freedom from the English. Uh, freedom is, is one of our desires. It's something that we, we long for. And perhaps, just as I said this morning, we wouldn't necessarily look to religion or Christianity to give us happiness, so we probably perhaps wouldn't intuitively look towards religion and Christianity to give us freedom. Perhaps one of the best caricatures of Christians in TV would be Ned Flanders. Uh, and he's a kind of likable character, isn't he, in The Simpsons? Uh, but you wouldn't say he was an epitome of freedom of expression. Uh, in one particular episode, uh, he says this. He says, no, no, and double no, double no, folks. I haven't done any of these things. Uh, he says, you name it, and I haven't done it. And Homer says, Flanders, you're 60 years old, and you've never lived a day in your life. So maybe that's our impression. If we were to embrace religion or Christianity, it would be embracing a set of rules and regulations. It would be restricting ourselves. It wouldn't be finding freedom. And perhaps for that reason, historically and today, some people will reject religion and reject God. Thomas Nagel is a professor of philosophy at New York University, 
And he was very honest when he said, it's not just that I don't believe in Christianity and don't think it's true. He says, I don't want it to be true. I don't want there to be a universe like that. Um, Aldous Huxley, an atheist of a previous generation, said, my atheism was an instrument of liberation politically and sexually for me and my friends. In other words, my reason for getting rid of God is not so much that I can't believe it's true, I don't want to believe it's true. But we're not just brains on sticks, are we? We make decisions not just because of what we are rationally persuaded by, and actually there is good rational evidence to believe that God does exist. But often we're persuaded by what we want to believe. But actually, I kind of want to throw this out. If there is no God... Is there really such a thing as freedom at all? You see, if there is no God, then we are just the product of the evolutionary process and nothing more. And if we are just the product of the evolutionary process and nothing more, then where do we get this idea of freedom from? We're just dancing to our DNA, as one thinker put it. We're just controlled ultimately by our circumstances and our genetics. One philosopher, John Gray, put it like this way. He said, modern humanism is the faith that through science, humankind can know the truth and be free. But, he says, if Darwin's theory of natural selection is true, this is impossible. The human mind serves evolutionary success, not truth. In other words, he says, we, we think that we're free, but if that's the only story in town, freedom is a myth. We're just dancing to our DNA. So getting rid of God doesn't bring freedom, philosophically speaking at least. But maybe we need to take a step back and ask a more fundamental question, which is what is freedom? We talk about it and we assume that we know what we mean by that term, but do we? Ever since the Enlightenment in the West, people have basically defined freedom this way. Freedom is doing whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, wherever I want. It's basically just life without any restrictions, without any limits. It's me doing what I like. But is that freedom? Or is that too simplistic? I'll give you two illustrations. Uh, You will have noticed on the news a while ago now, there was a terrible instance in the Hebrides, wasn't there, where a whole uh, number of whales had become beached. And if you were to look at those whales on that beach on Lewis and were asking the question, are those whales free? The answer is, of course, no. They're dying or dead. Because a whale on a beach isn't free, is it? A whale is free only in the ocean, in the environment in which it was created to live. And if it declares its freedom from the ocean, it's no longer free. Which begs the question, What is the environment in which we are most free? And could it be that actually in desiring freedom, we could find the opposite? The second illustration is a bit more embarrassing. A number of years ago, just after I'd studied in Edinburgh, I was um, dating a girl who lived in the United States. And uh, one particular Christmas, uh, her family invited me to join her family on uh, a skiing holiday. Uh, this, was, this was good. Uh, apart from one thing, and that was that they went skiing every year. Uh, I had never been skiing in my life. 
Uh, so I thought this could be kind of embarrassing. So uh, near where I lived, down in Bournemouth at the time, there was a dry ski slope. So I thought, well, I need to get some lessons. I, I went and I, I got these lessons. And all the instructor seemed to want to teach me was how to do a snowplow. Because apparently that's how you stop when you're a beginner. I wasn't particularly interested in stopping because I thought the whole purpose of skiing was going, not stopping. So I didn't really listen to the lessons and it all seemed fine. I got to America a few weeks later. Uh, we got to the resort in Colorado. We hired our skis. We got on the chairlift. And as we were going up the chairlift, it suddenly occurred to me that this was somewhat higher than the dry ski slope in Dorset. And we got to the top. We dismounted from the chairlift all successfully and... I was sliding very slowly across this open area at the top of the mountain. And I thought to myself, well, I need to stop, um, do it my boots properly, wait for the others, and then we'll ski. But I couldn't actually remember how to stop. I hadn't listened to that part of the lessons, had I? So I just kept moving, quite slowly at first, uh, but people were having to kind of move out the way as I came through the middle of this crowded area. And before long, I was actually at the start of a red run. And I went over the edge, and I was now picking up speed quickly. And I was all the time thinking, how can I stop? Now, even if you've never been skiing, you can probably think of one very effective way of stopping, can't you? But I didn't want to fall over, because I thought that would be embarrassing. So I was desperately trying to think, how do I stop without falling over? And I came up with what I thought was a bright idea. To the side of the piece, there was a forest. And I thought, if I ski into the forest and grab one of those trees, I can stop without falling over. So I skied off the piece, through the off-piste, into the forest, and smack into this tree. Of course, by this point, I was going quite fast. So when I hit the tree, I was then now on my backside, bruises from head to toe, both skis come off. My girlfriend and her family, they, they come over, they say, what were you trying to do? And I said, well, I was just trying to stop. They said, didn't they teach you how to stop? And I said, well, I did, but I didn't listen to that part of the lesson. And so for the rest of the day, I went faster, faster, fall, faster, faster, fall, faster, faster, fall, all the way down. Actually, it wasn't all the way down the mountain. I was so slow, and I had fallen over so much that by nightfall, I was only halfway down the mountain. They had to send one of those ski up the mountain to rescue me. Um, the next day, her parents actually bought lessons with the five-year-olds so that I could actually learn how to stop. And then for the next eight days, I flew down every mountain in Colorado in a very out-of-control snowplow, trying to impress my girlfriend and make up for the embarrassment of the first day. Uh, it didn't actually work. Uh, a few weeks after returning to England, she told me that she needed some time uh, to focus on her relationship with God, which is... <laughs> Christians speak for, it's over. Um, she obviously only needed about a couple of weeks to focus on her relationship with God because I heard about a month later she was dating a ski instructor. <laughs> she married him within the year. Um, I'm not bitter, actually, because I did meet Rebecca, my now wife, on a skiing holiday, so obviously it did pay off eventually. But the reason for telling that whole story is this. I thought when I got to Colorado that I was free. No one is here to tell me what to do. No instructor to tell me to keep stopping. I'm free, aren't I? Except I wasn't free. There was this little reality called gravity. <laughs> and I was being controlled by it. And it was going to take me wherever it wanted to go. 
I thought I was free, but was I? And in the same way, could it be that in life we think we are free, but we're not? Are we just following our desires? Or following the crowd? Or following our culture? Are we really as free as we think we are? Well, that's why it'd be helpful to look at these words of Jesus tonight. Because actually, Jesus had a lot to say about freedom. Although we may not intuitively look to Christianity or to Jesus to find freedom, actually, if you look at Jesus, he was the freest man who ever lived. Incredibly free. Free from following the crowd. Free from all the problems that normally face humanity. And he spoke about freedom. And look at these words in verse 32. He says, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Jesus says, I have come to bring freedom. Now in the context of this passage in the Bible, Jesus is speaking to a group of uh, Jewish religious leaders. And they are deeply offended in verse 33, aren't they, by Jesus' statement. They say, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, there is actually a profound irony behind what they say here. Because actually, if you have read the Old Testament or studied the nation of Israel prior to this moment, you will know that this nation have spent a lot of time being slaves. It all began with slavery in Egypt, and then slavery to Assyria, and slavery to Babylon, and slavery to Persia, and slavery to Greece. And right now, they're in slavery to the Romans. (laughs) They've had a lot of slavery. And it would be interesting, wouldn't it? Because the thing that Jesus could have said, the thing that I would be tempted to say at that point would be, really? I might want to point out their lack of political freedom that they currently don't have and haven't had in the past. And yet Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He says something else, verse 34. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus could have pointed out their lack of political freedom. But actually, he says, there is a deeper kind of freedom that we need. Now, don't get me wrong. Political freedom is a good thing. Actually, I want to suggest that there is a direct correlation between the influence of Jesus and his teaching in our world and the existence of political freedom. The two seem to go hand in hand, which is why we should perhaps be fearful of rejecting the teaching of Jesus because of the potential implications in other ways than we might have thought. But if political freedom is all we long for, the reality is we're missing something. I've got a lot of friends in Ukraine. I I remember going to visit just after uh, the protests in Maidan Square about 10 years ago and the expectation that they had of freedom that obviously hasn't materialized. And there is a great longing for political freedom. And of course, political freedom would be a good thing. But hey, so many countries in the world have political freedom, but does it mean they have no problems? Does it mean that our lives are free from all of the other? No, of course not. Jesus says we need more than political freedom. We need a deeper kind of freedom. And the real problem is not being enslaved by a political dictator but something much more internal. He says the deeper problem is that we can be enslaved by this thing called sin. Now, 
when we hear that word sin, perhaps because of our familiarity with it, it doesn't perhaps conjure up the reality to which Jesus meant. Often when we think of sin, perhaps we just think of naughty but nice things. People say, you know, that chocolate was so good it was sinful. Things like that. I love what one philosopher said, though. He said, defining this word sin, he said, sin is the universal human propensity to screw things up. Although he used a stronger word than that. That internal problem that all of us have that means that we make a mess of life. That no matter how hard we try, we don't get it right, do we? We fail to live up to our own expectations, let alone the expectations of others or God. We have this propensity to make a mess of things. John Mayer, the singer-songwriter, wrote a song called Gravity. And he said this in one of his songs, or he sings this in one of his songs. He says, what makes a man with all the love his heart can stand dream of ways of throwing it all away. Then he says, gravity has taken better men than me. Gravity, stay the hell away from me. Keep me where the light is. It's profound thought, isn't it? He says, this, what is this thing? Gravity is the word that he uses. This thing that pulls me down, that causes me to be less than the person that I want to be. Well, Jesus would just say that that's called sin. This thing that enslaves us. Sometimes, of course, we can see how that enslaves people in more kind of obvious ways. Russell Brand, uh, the, I don't know how you describe him, the fast-talking thinker and all sorts of things, uh, wrote a book called Recovery, talking about his recovery from various addictions, alcohol and drugs and so on. He commented on this. He said, those of us born with clear-cut and blatant substance addiction are in many ways the lucky ones. We alcoholics and junkies have minimized the mystery to tiny circles of craving and fulfillment. Our pattern is easier to observe, and therefore with commitment and help, it's easier to resolve. He says, actually, the real problem is that all of us can be enslaved in different ways. It's just more subtle. You kind of know, don't you, if you are addicted to drugs or alcohol, but, but how many of us are addicted to our phone? Addicted to popularity. Addicted to our work. How many of us are controlled by the crowd, by our desires? And how many times do we end up doing things that we really don't want to do, but we can't help ourselves? Despite how many fresh starts we make, despite how many New Year's resolutions we commit to. Are we really free? Jesus says, none of us by nature are free. That's the bad news, but the good news is this. He says, verse 36, if the Son, that's Jesus' way of referring to himself, the Son of Man or the Son of God, phrases that he used often of himself, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says, by nature, none of us are free, but he says, I want to set you free. I have come to bring you freedom. And the question is, what kind of freedom is Jesus offering? Certainly wasn't immediate political freedom, because Jesus didn't go and destroy the Romans, the people who were enslaving the Jews. He was destroyed by them. He was crucified on the cross. But he came to bring a deeper freedom. Let me mention 
five things briefly. Firstly, freedom from guilt. See, all of that sin that the Bible talks about, all of those wrong choices that we have made, can end up becoming like baggage that we carry around with us. And Jesus says, I want to free you from the guilt and the shame of that baggage and weight of our failure and our sin. Ultimately, he would do that by taking all of our failures and sin on himself. As he was strung up on a cross and didn't just take the physical agony of crucifixion, but took something far deeper, the spiritual and emotional pain of our sin and our guilt so that we could be forgiven. You see, all of us have guilt. I I was struck by the writer Gunter Grass. He was a German author, a Nobel Prize winner. And he wrote in his later years a biography, his autobiography, and it was called Peeling the Onion, a metaphor for his life, a life of many layers. And Gunter Grass had spent most of his life exposing those who had colluded with the Nazis. And in the years after the Second World War, he had exposed many people for their past failings. But then, in his autobiography, towards the end of his life, he revealed something that no one had known up until that point, and that was that during the war, he himself had been in the Nazi SS. And people asked him, why did you admit it? And he said, it just had to come out but then he said, it will stain me forever. Those deeper things that lay hidden in the layers of our hearts, it had to come out. And yet Jesus says, he's come to bring freedom. Freedom from that guilt. Freedom from the stuff that other people know about and the stuff that other people don't know about. Freedom and forgiveness from the things that we can't forget about. He's come to bring us real freedom. I was in the Balkans uh, a number of years ago uh, speaking at some events, and I remember meeting Sasha. Uh, Sasha had grown up in that region and was a young man during the wars that ripped the former Yugoslavia apart. And he was telling me his story. He said during the war, um, as a soldier, he had killed many people. And after the war, he was wracked with a sense of guilt and shame for what he had done. He couldn't sleep. His life was spiraling out of control. He had addictions. And then a team from neighboring Romania came to his town and started sharing this message about Jesus and his forgiveness and how in Jesus we can have a fresh start and our guilt can be taken away. And he came to receive that forgiveness. And these were his words. He says, my guilt melted away like the snow in the springtime. He said, for the first time, I knew freedom, the freedom of forgiveness. But look, we've probably not been involved in the German SS or a soldier killing people in war, perhaps. But we all have things in our lives that have been wrong. And if Jesus can forgive that, he can forgive us. And we can know freedom. I wonder, do you know that tonight, the the freedom of Jesus' forgiveness? That's the first kind of freedom that Jesus brings from guilt. But secondly, Jesus brings freedom from the destructive side of our human nature. John Mayer talks about sin as being like gravity that pulls us down. 
an illustration of this came to me a while back. Some of you know that my wife, she's an airline pilot. Uh, she knows a lot about how airplanes fly. Um, you'll be glad to know. I don't know so much about how airplanes fly, and I just find it a miracle that planes take off at all. And uh, I was sitting on a plane uh, a few months ago that she was to pilot, and sitting in the back, I started thinking to myself, how much does an airplane weigh? Quite a lot, I think, is the answer. Uh, and then you look at everyone coming in and sitting down, and you think, now the combined weight of all of these passengers, and then you look at the bags being loaded into the hold underneath, and you start to think, how on earth is this plane ever going to fly? You taxi to the runway, you feel the bump as you go over each strip of tarmac, and then you get to the end of the runway. You hear the roar of those engines, and you rush down the runway faster and faster and faster until moments later you're in the air. And you look down on the airport receding below you, and then you think to yourself, how much does the airplane weigh now? And the scary answer is, of course, exactly as much as it did just a moment before when you were on the ground. And the question, therefore, is how are you now in the air and not on the ground? And the answer, apparently, is that there is a greater force that is literally sucking you up than that force that was pulling you down. It's not that gravity has ceased to exist. There is a greater force at work. And I think it's a great illustration of what happens when someone comes to follow Jesus. If you come to start following Jesus, it's not that that force of gravity or sin, as Jesus calls it, fails to exist. It does, and we still battle against it. And in some ways, actually, we become more aware of it after we start following Jesus. But there is a greater force in our lives, the power of Jesus. In fact, somewhere else in the Bible, it says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in those who believe. And that power can overcome that destructive power. What we couldn't do with our own efforts and desires can be done with the power that God gives. Recently, uh, I was talking a few years ago to a a man called Tom Tarrance. Uh, We met in Oxford, uh, but he was from the States. And back in the 1960s, Tom Tarrance was one of the most wanted criminals in America. He was basically a terrorist. And during the civil rights movements, he opposed it and had planted bombs. He'd killed people. He was on the top 10 most wanted. He, he was captured twice. He was shot twice. They thought he was dead. He amazingly survived. He was imprisoned, escaped, and imprisoned again. And in solitary confinement for the second time of his imprisonment, he started to read the Bible. And he discovered, as he read the Bible, Jesus. A Jesus that not only would forgive him, but would come into his life and empower him and transform him. And he came to trust in that Jesus and didn't just come to receive forgiveness, but his life was turned upside down. In fact, it was so transformed, he started to have an impact upon other prisoners. Other prisoners started coming to know Jesus. Eventually, he was released And now he spends time going back into prison, sharing that message of Jesus' forgiveness and freedom. Now again, we may not have been a terrorist planting bombs, but if Jesus' power is big enough to transform someone like that, big enough to deal with whatever we're struggling with, isn't it? To set us free. Jesus gives freedom from guilt and the destructive side of our human nature. Thirdly, Jesus brings the freedom to be who we were made to be. 
I love the film, The Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you've seen it, but as we said earlier, it explores this topic of freedom. And there's this moment, a very sad moment, later, midway through the film, where this older character who spent almost his whole life behind bars is released, a character called Brooks. But he doesn't know what to do with his... He's no longer in prison. And very quickly, he comes to the end of himself and he takes his own life. And so that's why Andy, in the story, realizes that if he's going to work to release Red from prison, he doesn't just need to work for his release, he also needs to create a life for him to live on the outside. He doesn't need to simply be set free from something, he needs to be set free for something. And in the same way, Jesus didn't just come to set us free from that rubbish in life that pulls us down, but he came to set us free to live for what we were created to live for, for him. To use our God-given gifts and personalities and skills and everything else for good. I don't know if you've ever been to Florence to see Michelangelo's David. Has anyone been to the Academia Gallery there? It's an amazing, massive statue, isn't it? But if you go into that gallery... Just as you walk through to see Michelangelo's David, there are some other sculptures that he also um, produced. And many people thought they were unfinished sculptures because they maintain, you know, you can still see lots of the block from which the sculptures were being formed. But actually, it's been suggested that that was deliberately so. It was a kind of parable that Michelangelo was enacting of our desire to break free from that which would enslave us. And actually, in some ways, it was a parable of his own life. Michelangelo came to discover the real freedom of Jesus, not just religion, later in life. He once said, when I am yours, O God, then I'm really free. Freedom to live for something, to do something. What are you living for? Freedom from guilt, from the destructive side of human nature, to be who we were made to be. And fourthly, freedom from death. Because actually the reality is, the reality of death is hanging over all of us, isn't it? And it can enslave us because we know that we can't avoid it. But Jesus says, not simply that he has the answer to death, but actually he says that he is the answer to death. Because he didn't just die on a cross to deal with our guilt and shame, But actually history and the evidence of history shows us that he rose again. Something you can check out and look at the evidence for and be persuaded of. And the implications of that are such that death itself was not the end for Jesus and it doesn't have to be the end for us. And the fear of death doesn't have to enslave us. We could have hope that goes beyond death. There's a fifth type of freedom that Jesus brings as well, and it's this, the freedom to choose. Because actually, as we said this morning, we have a choice in terms of how we respond to Jesus. Because Jesus wants to offer us a relationship with God, that has to be something of which there is choice. Love and choice go together, don't they? And so the question is, how will we, will we respond to Jesus' offer of freedom? Because freedom has to be offered, but it also has to be claimed. I mean, imagine 
a prisoner languishing in a prison cell. And the prison officer comes down and opens the door and says, you're free, you can leave. Well, in one sense, they're free, aren't they? But they've actually got to get up and leave. In fact, I was reading recently of one prisoner who so liked his prison cell, he didn't. He wanted to stay in prison. Now, that might seem crazy, except for the fact that, in other ways, lots of people do that with God. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has made it possible for all of us to be free. But many people choose to stay living in slavery. They don't enjoy the freedom that Jesus offers. So my question to you is, have you come to experience that for yourself? Do you know that freedom that we're talking about tonight in your own life? Maybe you're saying, well, actually, no, and I don't want to. Maybe like Aldous Huxley and Thomas Nagel at the beginning, you're saying, actually, I I personally think that life without God would be more freeing. But can I ask, before you reject God, what God are you rejecting? A generic idea of some dictator in, in the sky? Or Jesus? Because actually, this is who God is. And my question is, why would you want to reject a God like Jesus? Maybe you need to know more about it. And as I said this morning, we've got these little books called Mark. Uh, They're one of the biographies of Jesus' life. Uh, They're the shortest biography of Jesus' life. It'll probably take you about two hours to read through. And if you've never done that as an adult, we just really encourage you to do that. Uh, Take one away, read it this week, and say, if Jesus shows me what God is like, what is God like? Check it out. Make sure you know what you're rejecting. Maybe you're weighing this up, you're thinking about it, but you're saying, look, I've not really thought about this before, to be honest. I need to think about this more. And that's fine. These things are big, aren't they? And it would be right, perhaps, for some people to take some time to to really look into this, to look at the claims of Jesus. And actually, the church wants to help you do that. So there's this thing called Christianity Explored. Lots of people here have, have done that course. And it's a great way of just asking your questions, looking at what it's all about, finding out for yourself. We'd love you to to be on that and uh, we'd love to tell you more about that after the service. But actually to discover the freedom that Jesus offers, you don't have to wait until you know everything. There isn't an exam that you need to, you know, pass. And you don't have to wait even until all your doubts have been dealt with because doubt and faith are not opposites. It's okay to come to Jesus with doubts and and that fact, the Bible tells us of a guy who did. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, I think this is true, but I'm not completely sure. And Jesus didn't reject him and say, come back when you're more certain. Even with our doubt, bring them to Jesus. You can bring your questions as well. Whatever's stopping you, it doesn't have to. Tonight, you could discover that freedom. And so what I want to do as I finish is just to pray a short prayer. And this might be helpful for some people here tonight. If you've never discovered that freedom for yourself that Jesus wants to offer, then maybe as I pray this prayer, you just want to echo it silently in your heart as a way of saying to God, sorry, for the way that we've lived our life. 
hurting others and hurting him. Thank you for the way Jesus was willing to lose his freedom so that we could get freedom. And then please, please God, will you come and set me free in the way that we've heard about tonight. And, and God says if we say that honestly to him, that is a prayer that he will answer. And that can be the gateway, the doorway to that life of deeper freedom that Jesus promises. So let's have a moment of quiet just to reflect on that and to maybe think if that is something that we would like to do. And if you would like to do that, then why not pray with me now? Lord God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the way that I've hurt you and hurt others. Thank you that Jesus came to set me free. Thank you that he was willing to lose his freedom, his life, so that I might find it. Please forgive me. Please come now into my life by your Spirit. And empower me to live as you created me to live. And to discover who you created me to be. And to live with the certainty of knowing that not even death can separate me from you. I receive you now and I choose to live for you and with you from this day onwards. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, just before um, I hand back to Liam, uh, if you did pray that prayer tonight, we'd love to chat with you um, and come and find me or chat to the person who invited you or someone that you know who comes here. Uh, they'd love to, to hear that too. That would be really encouraging. If you've got questions, uh, we'd love to hear your questions too. I'll be around afterwards. Don't feel afraid to come and chat, uh, to talk more. Uh, if you'd like to find out about Christianity Explored, Liam will tell you how to do that uh, in a second. Um, and if you've already discovered the freedom that Jesus brings, um, let's enjoy that. Um, let's remember that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And to live in that power, not in our own strength, but in his and to look forward, ultimately, you know, one of the things I look forward to about heaven the most is no more presence of sin at all, not even the battle. Um, that's going to be wonderful, isn't it? But in the meantime, we have Jesus empowering us and with us, and that's live in the light of that.